Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ at 102.1 FM. It's your local community independent radio station. My name's Andy and I will be on your airwaves for the next hour broadcasting on Jagra and Turable Country. And today on the show, we're going to do a Christmas special. In fact, we're going to be going straight to the source of where the Christmas story came from, which is Bethlehem in the occupied territories of Palestine. I spoke to Usama Nicola, who lives in Bethlehem, and we talked about what the significance of the Christmas story is for people there and how you might read it differently um, if you are living in that place currently under occupation um, and of course in the midst of a pretty terrible war that Palestinian people are seeing unfold. Not really a war, it's more one-sided than that. Islam himself calls it a genocide and certainly it is a pretty imbalanced conflict. Um, But there's lots of interesting things in this story and I think that there's something that we can discover from hearing Usama talk about it. If you uh, recall, we did have him on the paradigm shift well, maybe a couple of months ago at the beginning of the conflict, and I thought we'd touch back in. It is the time of year for talking about Bethlehem. Some might find it odd uh, to do a Christmas show on the paradigm shift, and um, certainly, like many of you, I have mixed feelings about Christmas and sometimes can be a bit weary of the whole thing. If you step outside into the shops or advertisements or anything like that, what you see uh, is more like capitalistmas than Christmas, and it certainly serves to uh, entrench the kind of consumer society that we live in. But there's another Christmas story as well, and I think that's worth preserving, right? I think it's worth trying to hold on to Christmas, meaning something beyond buying more stuff and more useless plastic trinkets, you know, overindulging and whatever. I think, for one, it's just a point where we the shops close, even though there's so much shopping around it. Uh, we get one break where we're meant to stop and rest and reflect, where we go talk to family, maybe we go back to our hometowns and things like that and reflect on the places where we've come from as well. And it comes as well at the end of a year, which is also a, a good time for reflection. And so I think that's a valuable thing to have in our society that is all go, 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 and of course has so many demands on our attention. 
Uh, I also think that our culture is constantly under bombardment from kind of capitalist co-option, that anything that exists in our lives can be bought and sold, and we need to find things that are a part of our culture that are deeper than that, you know, and these stories and rituals that we have as a part of the way that we relate to one another in this place um, that aren't just about, yeah, either being bought and sold things or kind of being the passive recipient of stories told to entertain us, you know, produced by the storytelling industry. Um, and so Christmas, I think, and and other things that we can find in our culture are worth um, holding on to. Of course, before it was Christmas in the Northern Hemisphere, um, this celebration was also a, a winter solstice, which also, I guess, reflects on our relationship to the earth and noticing the way that our lives as humans, we don't just... Um, live our lives how we see fit, that actually we're somehow connected to this earth and its cycles and that we should be paying attention to that as well. And so, you know, the two aren't mutually exclusive. We can see that as part of uh, the Christmas story as well. And what's more, when you look into it, actually the Christmas story is kind of radical. Um, We'll talk a bit with Dave Andrews um, an interview I recorded a couple of years ago about Christmas at the end of this episode to say, well, there's actually some pretty um, odd countercultural things in this kind of cultural archetype that we have here. Um, and so that in itself is worthwhile as well to say, well, this is where we've come from, but what is it in this story that has had such a grip on our culture for thousands of years now? And, um, and why is it that these kind of radical messages still hold on to this place? And what does it say about who we are and who we could be? And so for all these reasons, I think Christmas is worth marking in some way. And today we're going to do it by um, talking to Usama in Palestine. And before we go any further, actually, I think I might do a little short recap of what the original kind of Christmas story from the Bible is like, because actually probably a lot of people have never really heard it. Mostly our Christmas myths these days is about Santa and reindeer and things like that. And so I'll just do, give a quick sort of recap, including some of the bits that sometimes are easy to forget. Um, so the story starts with uh, Mary, a young woman. She's 2,000 years ago in what is now the West Bank of Palestine. And she is unmarried, which probably means she was a teenage girl. And she is visited by an angel and told that she is going to be divinely impregnated, which obviously is an uncommon occurrence. Um, and Mary is a bit taken aback, but she does celebrate and she writes... Um, she sings this song that's reported in the Bible, which doesn't just talk about, you know, how happy she is to have a baby, but also this idea that this baby will be a hope for a whole different way of society. And it does say that God scatters those who are proud, brings down rulers from their thrones and lifts up the humble, fills the hungry with good things and sends the rich away empty. And that this is somehow connected to the story of this baby that's to be born. Uh, Joseph, her fiancé, is understandably a little bit taken aback by the fact that his fiancé is pregnant now to somebody else, but he is a, a kind person, and so rather than 
publicly vilify her. He decides he's going to quietly divorce her, but he's visiting a dream by God, um, another uncommon occurrence, I guess, uh, who says, no, no, the baby's from God. He'll be all good. And so Joseph goes for it. He takes um, that at its word and um, raises the child as his own. Now, another part of the story is that the Jews are under Roman occupation at the time, and as empires tend to do, they want to count how much wealth they have um, and how many people they control. And so in an early example of the surveillance state, they send everybody back to their hometown to all be numbered and kind of um, have their data taken down. And so Joseph and Mary, despite the fact that Mary's quite pregnant, um, are forced to, at that point, walk, possibly ride a donkey to Joseph's um, hometown of Bethlehem. And so they do that. Once they get there, um, they find out that there's no rooms anywhere to stay, no room at the inn, possibly because they're traveling slowly with a um, heavily pregnant woman. Um, and possibly people didn't want a heavily pregnant, unmarried woman um, to be in their um, places of lodging. So anyway, the couple end up in the, the cattle shed and the baby is born in the feed trough um, as is often depicted amongst the livestock, possibly they did shoo out the animals before having the baby born. But um, it would not have been a very comfortable maternity ward either way. Um, now, nobody really comes to witness this except for a bunch of shepherds who are out working the night shift in the fields and are visited by um, angels and told to go and, and meet this baby, which they do as the kind of witnesses of this hopeful birth and then... Later we get the story that some foreigners from the east have seen in the skies what the locals all nearby have not seen, that this significant baby's born. And so they travel to um, pay tribute to the new baby, but unfortunately tell the king at the time, who, like many kings, is a bit power-crazed and paranoid, and so his response to this is to kill um, all babies under the age of two who might be a threat to his reign uh pretty horrific infanticide um in that story and of course we've seen many conflicts around the world where children are often casualties so joseph and mary head to egypt as refugees coincidentally the exact same route that many people are trying to take right now to get out of gaza um and they discover along the way that being the hope of the world can be a bit of a rocky um, journey and a dangerous calling as Jesus finds out later in his life and there is a prophecy actually that they are given to say that they, as well as happiness this will bring much sorrow this story so anyway that's the story the Christmas story where we sit down and look at it we're going to hear from somebody in Bethlehem who I spoke to this morning Usama Nicola let's have a listen hello everyone um, this is Osama Nicola from Bethlehem I'm a civil society activist and a local tour guide. It's Christmas time here in Australia, which is the time of year when we talk about Bethlehem most. Most of the time it's not on any Australian's mind. And I guess for a lot of people here, it seems like just this mythical place that's in this story. But you live in Bethlehem. And so I wonder um, what it's like for you when you read that Christmas story or hear it 
and having it set in your hometown? Um, you know, uh, for me, being born in Bethlehem, you know, it's very special. Uh, Bethlehem is the first location of the first Christmas. It's uh, the location where um, the human rights teacher was born. And, uh, you know, we, uh, he has been born for us. So, uh, when you read uh, the Christmas story in the Bible and you walk the streets of Bethlehem all the way to the Nativity place, uh, you feel that you, you, you see and you imagine um, that story uh, of uh, Virgin Mary and Joseph uh, coming from Nazareth to Bethlehem, walking uh, the only street in that time um, uh, in Bethlehem, which is today called Star Street. And we commemorate this happening and we do all our Christmas processions in that street. And um, it's called the Star Street because of the famous star in the Christmas story. The same streets that also the wise men who followed the star came uh, to pay homage for Jesus and give him the gifts. So it's very special, you know, like um, it's, it is really very special to be in Bethlehem, just some homes away from uh, the Church of Nativity, this little town that's still little town. Sometimes we do we don't think about it, but for me it's a great deal to be in Bethlehem. This is why I am still staying in Bethlehem, and I don't want to leave Bethlehem because it means a lot. You would get a lot of tourists there coming to Bethlehem. You work in the tourism industry yourself, and um, you would see Bethlehem, I guess, depicted in in Western uh, depictions of the Christmas story. How do you feel about the way that the West, who doesn't live there, um, sees your hometown? You know, uh, I, I think every uh, everyone who thinks about the Christmas story try to adopt it in their culture, in their way of thinking. But even the tourists, when they come and visit Bethlehem and the holy sites, they forget the reality. The reality that, you know, Jesus born under occupation and we as Palestinian today live under occupation and when Jesus was born under occupation it becomes a symbol of liber- liberation against any oppression you know Jesus came for a message Jesus came with a message that you know like it's not the politicians or the military leaders who are going to liberate us it's the teaching of jesus who share with us through his parables so uh if you really want to understand uh the christmas story in the right way you need to understand the culture of the land you need to understand the circumstances that Mary has given birth under. You know, this humble garoto that has been used for animals under the inn, this little inn in the little town of Bethlehem. Okay, so it was very humble place where this king, the king of peace, became in a flash to talk to us to give us the message directly and tell us uh, what is the right way that we, or the right path that we need to take 
but unfortunately many people still waiting for a military leaders or political leaders to liberate them uh, or create a better reality but there will never be a better reality without Jesus who teach us what we need to do and how we need to, and how we can do it through all his simple parables uh, yeah it's interesting you mentioned there um that the the christmas story takes place in um occupied territory and it begins with um the romans ordering the um jewish people at the time to move around and this kind of restriction of people's freedom of movement um, and of course, then there's the story of the tyrant Herod killing a lot of innocent children. Yeah, do you think that the story has a special relevance now compared to other times in history, maybe because um, the town of Bethlehem is once again an occupied territory? You know, the current situation in Bethlehem is deeply impacted by the ongoing Israeli occupation, the closure, the restricted of me- movement the daily military incursions, uh, the the current aggression against the Palestinian people in Gaza and the West Bank is, you know, uh, significantly affecting our daily lives. The travel restrictions and the closures and the checkpoints. We can't go to Jerusalem freely. People can't come to Bethlehem. You know, imagine this year we are having a sad Christmas no lights, no Christmas festivals, no Christmas decoration, no Christmas tree. You know, it's so sad to see Bethlehem dark because all the Christmas celebrations has been cancelled because of the ongoing uh, humility and ongoing suffering and ongoing uh, human suffering in Gaza and also in, in less degree in the West Bank. So uh, um, we're going to go only for, for Christmas uh, services at churches. There will be no scouts. There will be no drums. There will be no music. There will be no fireworks, lights, and Christmas trees. It's so sad. You know, this Christmas, Bethlehem is shrouded in a gloomy atmosphere. And this is so sad. For us, Christmas is the season of joy is the season of hope, is the season of, you know, like we wait for this season because thousands of people will come. Last year we had 10,000 people participate in the Christmas tree lighting. We have almost similar number attending the uh, different activities at the Christmas Eve. So Bethlehem was overcrowded. Oh, you know, like this year hotels are zero occupancy. We don't have tourists. We don't have pilgrimage, we don't have visitors, even local visitors are not coming to Bethlehem this year because it's closed. You know, like, look up our reality. I see myself today as a Palestinian Christian. I am the Jewish of the ancient time. And the current Israeli occupation is the ancient Roman occupation. So it looked like no one has learned from history. And, and people didn't choose the right path for salvation, you know, like uh, we can't continue in the same way. Uh, it's so sad to see how things are. The Holy Land must be a source of a blessing. It's, that's, that's what's supposed to be, you know, like 
The Holy Land today serves as a continual a source of suffering and trauma rather than a blessing. You know, it's enough and enough and enough. We need to be standing for humanity against any injustice against any person. It's enough. If Jesus is here today, he will stand with the Palestinian. And uh, it's so sad to see the number of children who has been killed. Um, almost 8,000 children has been killed uh, in Gaza Strip. Uh, more than 6,000 women has been killed. 70% plus of the victims are children and women. You mentioned there that uh, Bethlehem is empty. There's no tourists or pilgrims coming this time, which there normally would be. Um, what's the situation with the current war for Bethlehem? And how safe is it? And um, how have things changed? You know, I, uh, I, I think uh, Bethlehem has been always safe, despite all the challenges. Uh, the situation is very bad. Uh, since the 7th of October, Bethlehem has been uh, looked. We have checkpoints and roadblocks. Uh, checkpoints are open for certain hours. For example, if I want to go to Ramallah, a different Palestinian city in the West Bank, or to Jericho, or to Hebron, there are certain hours and from certain roads. It's not, free, it's not freely a movement. Uh, roads will be blocked uh, in the morning because the priority is for settlers to use roads. After the settlers move and go to work or to their places, our roads will be open for Palestinians. So the level of the discrimination is very high. Uh, like, for example, if I want to go to Hebron, I need to, uh, to leave after 8 o'clock and be back before 7 o'clock because the roads will be closed. It, it's open from 8 a.m. and closed at 7 p.m. And most of the time, it, you, you, you will wait in a queue for two or three hours before you leave. So I have not been out of Bethlehem City since 7th of October because I, I'm, not ready, um, I'm not ready to suffer in checkpoints. I just was talking with my kids and my wife today what we want to do for Christmas because our hearts is very heavy. We need to do something. You know, we need to be away from the news um, and just be in a safe place. They say, no, let's stay at home because that's the most safe place. Why shall we drive to Jericho, for example, and spend three, four hours in checkpoints and we are not secure if we can reach Jericho or not? Uh, so let's stay at home. So um, I have many friends from Nazareth and from Jerusalem who wish to be in Bethlehem on Christmas. They say, you know, but we are not sure if we came, we can leave back because checkpoints are closed. Uh, we have a, a, almost every day Israeli military um, raids and incursions. Last night we have a child 16 years old and around 20 Palestinians were injured in clashes with Israeli military in south uh, west of Bethlehem in a village called Hussan. Uh, but in the end, um, we care for people. We want people to come and feel safe. But people are not coming uh, because they, they fear. And we forget always that Christmas is a message of no fear. And we want people to be with us today. The presence of the internationals will make a difference. You know, like my parents has like small studios, they host uh, visitors and pilgrimage. 
every year around the Christmas time the home is full they use every corner in their home to host international people coming from all over the world so every year during Christmas Eve we have 20 sometimes more uh, visitors from different parts of the world and spend that uh, night or two or three days with us around the Christmas time so for us it's a, a season of joy it's a season of hope it's a season of no fear uh, and for me and my children you know like Christmas is 365 days every day in the morning we play the Christmas hymns in the car in the way to school in the way back from school because it gives us hope it gives us joy it, you know like we try to lift this the spirit of the Christmas around the year yes and it is a story of hope the Christmas story I guess hope is easy to find sometimes in others and right now hope is can be difficult to find if you live in Palestine, but does the Christmas story still bring hope? Yes, Christmas is a time of hope. And for us, there is no alternatives than hope. You know, where many people are losing hope and faith. Uh, hope is our resistance and our resilience. Uh, without hope, there is no meaning for our faith. As I mentioned earlier, that, you know, like Jesus came to show us the way and now it's our responsibilities to follow and make the change and be the light and the salt or just be used by the Satan. So uh, Jesus loved us and loved everyone and, and Jesus came just to tell us how God loves us in our love. Without love there is no hope. And without faith, there is no hope. And yes, we will never give up hope. Hope is only what left for us. You know, in the middle of all this darkness, in the middle of this dangerous situation, if we lose hope, we have lost everything. For people in Australia who will be st stopping to celebrate Christmas in the coming week, how do you hope that people... Uh, remember you in Bethlehem and other people in the Holy Land um, as we stop to, to celebrate this story set in your hometown? Um, you know, it's very important to, to, to remember that as Jesus suffered and the Holy Family suffered, there is a still inhuman suffering in Palestine. And uh, this suffering is because of the military occupation, which is illegal by international law. And this military occupation must end. And without international pressure, without collective responsibility, this occupation will never end. We deserve to live in peace. We deserve to live in reconciliation. We. Uh, deserve to live in a freedom you know we wanna you know just enjoy our life so please keep us in your prayers and not only prayers but do some actions you know reminding us of the struggle for freedom we are yearning for peace so uh, you know pray and act send letters, uh, do vigils, stand for a humanity.
you know, stop this aggression because what has been happening in Gaza is a real genocide. It's very important to stand for humanity and stand against any type of violence in in this holy land. You know, like this holy land must be a holy land and again a source of a blessing. So we need to be united for humanity. We need to be united for the message of Jesus. And Jesus' messages has been misguided many times. You know, like Jesus will never support war. Jesus will never support killing any human being in earth. Jesus has always stand with the weak and support the weak and love the weak. So if Jesus is here today, he will stand in the side of the Palestinian. Thanks so much, Usama, for taking the time to talk to us. God bless you, and uh, hopefully uh, the coming Christmas will bring peace, reconciliation, and end of the occupation. And uh, we hope that there will be a better future and better year next year for everyone all over the world. God bless you. Thanks very much, Usama. To Usama Nicola, who is living in the West Bank, Palestine, in Bethlehem, talking about what the Christmas story means to him there um, in the original setting and what it means to all of us who this is somehow part of our culture, the Christmas story, how he might try to live it out and apply it to our lives. And, of course, for many of us that would mean trying to work for peace and and freedom, which is what this kind of celebration is uh, meant to be about. In the last part of the show, I'm going to play a bit of an interview I did with Dave Andrews, who is a local Brisbane theologian and spiritual thinker. And uh, I talked to him a couple of years ago on a similar topic about the Christmas story and what it might mean for our times. And so let's um, hear from Dave. Well, Dave... As you're probably aware, it is Christmas coming up. Uh, what does Christmas mean to you personally? Well, I think as a child, I was just really excited about getting presents. But I was brought up in a family where there was a strong faith tradition. And as I grew older, within that tradition, I became really disappointed about the way that uh, uh, the Christ was displaced by what I saw as Christmas rather than Christmas. And, um, and I was also disappointed the way um, uh, St Nicholas, who was really a radical bishop who was committed to working for the poor, uh, had been uh, co-opted uh, by the Coca-Cola company and uh, made a, as a figure for um, capitalist marketing at that time. Yeah, it is such a mixed thing, isn't it? I mean, those... Uh, rituals of family gatherings and the generosity of giving gifts are really uh, important parts of our culture but then it's also mixed with these consumer marketing pressures and it does seem to get uh, less and less to do with the original Jesus story every year. Oh yeah for sure well I mean the the irony of course is that it was originally a um a pagan festival um, uh, that celebrated the solstice that Christians tried to take over and then um, make it into a, a celebration of the birth of Christ. 
But what's happened over the years is that the, the pagan elements have re-emerged and <laughs> triumphed over this uh, this attempt to uh, call uh, Christmas for Christians and say, hey, no, we want to reclaim this festival as uh, just uh, a good time for merriment and uh, we're not so concerned about whether it's got some kind of association with a deeper meaning in terms of the Christian myth or not. But, yeah, at the heart of this festival, we do have this kind of cultural archetype of this Christian story of Joseph, Mary and the baby Jesus. What do you think is the value of this story? Well, the difficulty for me in that, Andy, is that this this story has been so domesticated that uh, the way we tell the story is often loses its, you know, radical significance i mean to start with you've got mary who um who who when she is preparing for the birth of her child sings a song that that most commentators say is one of the most revolutionary um uh lyrics in human history it's one that celebrates um the overthrow of the system uh the resurgence of the the poor uh, who then claim the, the rights that have been denied by the rich. And uh, that whole part of the message, which is leading up to the birth of Jesus, has kind of been um, deleted. Uh, but that's the framework, I think, in which we need to look at the story. And then, of course, in, in the story, you've got this, the birth of, of Jesus, who is incarnating something of the divine but does it in really earthy, grounded ways that's a total contradiction of, you know, the divine right of kings. In fact, the, the king at the time, Herod, was totally uh, threatened by the birth of this child and, uh, and as a result of that uh, sent out orders to slaughter all children under the age of two. So you've got that uh, awareness at the time that this coming of this this. Uh, child uh jesus is truly revolutionary is going to threaten the status quo and uh, the kings of the time are aware of that threat and uh and unleash uh, slaughter in order to try and and stop it before it starts and then of course you've got uh jesus uh being taken by his mother mary and the father joseph um uh, as refugees to Egypt to find safety during that time of that uh, that uh, onslaught, and so you've got this incredibly ancient story that's uh, incredibly relevant to our contemporary situation and all the dynamics of the issues that we face today. Yeah, that's right. You've got these political themes uh, that seem to be very relevant today: uh, refugees, as you say, and I guess the oppressive uh, regimes of. King Herod, um, and the status symbols of, you know, where you're meant to be born. So we have these political themes in this story, but they seem to be buried not just in the kind of secular Santa Claus uh, consumer story, but also in the Christian retelling of the story. Oh, definitely. I think uh, uh, the way the story has been uh, domesticated has actually uh, taken the radical dimension out of this and softened it it's like a soft focused version of this that um that doesn't actually deal with the really challenging uh, message in this and i think christians by and large 
of being content to be com complicit with the uh, with uh, capitalism, and um, uh, it's a cosy kind of relationship. And um, and the church has been complicit with the state, and so the way that the story has been told uh, has, I think, uh, deliberately uh, been told in a way that doesn't threaten the status quo. So we've spoken about the Christmas story's domestication um, and its co-option by consumer marketing, but also about its radical heart. How do you think that we can reclaim this story to make it something useful in trying to create a better world? For me, uh, Andy, the story at the heart of it about the incarnation of God coming in this man, Jesus, um, is a incredibly radical story because it, it actually affirms the dignity of human beings um, in a way that's of extraordinary significance. And I think we need to reclaim uh, that uh, significance. The other thing is that coming humbly in conditions of poverty rather than uh, coming as a, a, as a monarch in power and pomp and wealth affirms the dignity of ordinary people um, that I think is a message that we really need to hold on to in a culture where uh, marketing is driving us to be bigger and better and brighter than everybody else. And God's willingness to actually identify uh, with those uh, that are most marginalised and disadvantaged is, is uh, one of the most significant uh, messages of, of Christmas that I think we call to remember. Okay, thanks, Dave. That is Dave Andrews there talking about uh, the significance of the Christmas story and it is there, one of uh, the stories in our culture. It has helped make um, who we are as a collective and it's there for us to use, I guess, as well, to think about who we want to be. Maybe there's bits of it that we don't want to be, things like that. But um, I hope you do have... Uh, very enjoyable Christmas and, of course, as it blends into New Year, that time of celebration and reflection as well. Maybe it's been a bad year and you want to um, mourn the year that's been and put it to rest and get ready for the next one, and that's a worthwhile thing to do as well. But um, let's all take a little bit of time to try to make Christmas mean something and enjoy hanging out with the people that we love and showing them generosity as well. And um, we'll be back for another year 2024 it'll be another year of challenges of course um political ecological personal economic um there'll be lots of work to do and we'll need to be energized and inspired for it. and so um hopefully this little season that we have can help us to do that um that's about all we have time for on the paradigm shift see you next week <laughs>